So good to have you join us wherever you're joining us from. It's so, man, I'm telling you, been praying for you since March, and we've been all cooped up, but God has been faithful and doing some pretty special things in our lives. And so I want to start by telling you this. Uh, in AD 64, there was a fire that swept through the city of Rome that a lot of people felt that Nero had set himself. It was a part of town that he wanted to basically level and put some buildings, erect some buildings there to himself uh, to honor himself. And so he started to get some flack and he turned around and blamed this insidious group of sneaky, immoral people that had been known as Christians. And when he did that, he actually did some terrible things to them. We know this because as a young boy, the Roman historian Tacitus later wrote about it in his book called The Annals, which was the Annals of the History of Rome. And he said this about Nero. He said, so to get rid of this rumor that he had set the fire himself, Nero set up and falsely accused as the culprits and punished with the utmost refinement of cruelty, a class hated for their abominations. Now, what are their abominations? Christians in the first century were known as cannibals. Why? Because in their meetings, they would eat the body of Christ. They were known as atheists. Why? Because they refused to worship the other Greco-Roman gods. And they uh, were known to have orgies in their meetings. Why? Because they were known to love one another. These were the reputations that they have. What an abominable people, who they're commonly called Christians. Christus, Christus, from whom their name is derived, was executed at the hands of the procreator uh, Pontius Pilate, Tacitus says, in the reign of Tiberius. Checked for a moment, this pernicious superstition again broke out, not only in Judea, the source of the evil, but even in Rome. Accordingly, arrest was made of those who confessed to being Christians. And then, on their evidence, they essentially sold out the other Christians. An immense multitude was convicted. Not so much on the charge of arson, but because of their hatred for the human race. These Christians... They don't worship our gods, therefore every time there's a flood, every time that there's an earthquake, every time that it's a famine, it's the Christian's fault. Besides being put to death, they were made to serve as objects of amusement. They were clothed in the hides of beasts and torn to death by dogs. Others were crucified, others set on fire to illuminate the night throughout the streets when the daylight failed. Nero had thrown open his personal grounds for the display and was putting on a show in the circus where he mingled with the people in the dress of a charioteer and drove about in a chariot looking at all of these Christians as they're burning and as they're being eaten. All this gave rise to a feeling of pity among the people there. Even towards men whose guilt merited the most exemplary punishment. Tacitus believed the Christians were creeps. For it was felt that the people that were there watching this, that they were being destroyed not for the public good, but to gratify the cruelty 
of an individual. Do you want to know what Christians feared the most in the first century? This. I was able to secure this from an antiquities dealer. This is a first century Roman nail used for crucifixion. Romans, the Roman army would come into town and if they faced resistance, they would line people up. They would crucify them by putting these through the wrists, through their ankles, and hang them on, hang them on posts and parade them all throughout the city. And no one would give up any resistance after that, after they're seeing 300 of their friends, their mothers, their children, their grandparents all crucified along the street. And so the Christians in the first century knew that their leader, their Lord, had been crucified with these. They heard that there were Christians in Rome that were being crucified with these. And so in northern ancient Turkey, the Christians there were absolutely petrified. They were scared to death that they were going to be next. Wouldn't you be scared that if later today there was the chance you could get arrested by a police officer and be taken out back and be nailed to a tree with one of these? You'd absolutely be petrified. And so... Word spread to the apostle Peter, who was in Rome at the time, and he wrote a letter that was to be distributed to the Christians in ancient Turkey. And that letter, written to Christians, huddled together in their homes, began this way. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, that's what we're called, people that are chosen by God, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces, of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace to you in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, fade, or be crucified and taken away from us. This inheritance that we're looking forward to is kept in heaven for you, who through faith you are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, the salvation that you received and the inheritance that is yours, in all of this you greatly rejoice. Though for now, a little while, while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, these trials... The crucifixions, they have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, your faith may result in the praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, I've seen him, but though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him in the midst of these trials. And you are filled in the midst of these trials with an inexpressible and glorious joy. 
for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We're starting a new series today called Fight to the Finish. We're going to be working through the letter of 1 Peter, which is God's playbook for how to flourish in difficult times. Lean over to the person right next to you in your house or right here today. Lean over and ask them, has it been super easy since, since March? Have you been, is it, has it been a cakewalk? How, how easy has it been for you, right? You, you over the, since the beginning of March, anytime you wanted to, you just went to bed and lost weight, right? And, uh, and it's been so easy. No one has been felt, has, has had any, any anxiety whatsoever. The social, social isolation hasn't been a problem, right? It's been terrible, right? It's been terrible. But the thing that, that is encouraging about this letter is that we are God's chosen people. We are the elect. We are the people that God has embraced. And it doesn't matter what trial that we're going through, whether it's a first century trial or it's a 2020 trial, God is going to get us through that trial and that trial is going to have a purpose to it. Now, I want you to notice a couple things about this passage. First Peter was written to Christians who were treated and felt like exiles. People in northern ancient Turkey they actually came from other countries. That's why there was, it was easy for them. They were displaced and they didn't have a family. And so these are the people that were most apt to be, become converts to Christianity. And so they were, they were basically people that were traveling from other countries. So Peter grabbed a hold of that and he said, I want to just convey that every single one of us that calls ourselves by the name of Christian, we all belong to another country that we might get too comfortable here because this is not our home. We don't believe the way the other people believe here. We're from another place as if we're speaking another language. We have another set of values. We have another king that we are uh, pledging allegiance to. And so we may live among these people, but we are exiles when we're there. Now, the other thing that I want you to notice about 1 Peter chapter 1 is that 1 Peter chapter 1, when he says, I'm writing to the exiles throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, what it actually is describing is the route where the letter was going to take. So take a look at the map with me here. All right? So um, the person that was given this letter from the apostle Peter uh, aborted a ship from Rome and the first place that the person went was Pontus. Went to the churches there and spent two or three weeks among all of the churches reading the letter. And then worked this person's way down through Galatia. And it could have been a man, it could have been a woman, it could have been a couple, it could have been many people. Going down to Cappadocia and then over to Asia. And then the last place is Bithynia. And so that's why he says... Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. It's essentially the route that the, that the letter had taken. But I want you to notice that word Bithynia. Bithynia was ground zero for the assault on Christians. We know this because from the annals of history, we have a letter that was written by a governor named Pliny to the emperor Trajan where he was asking, what do you want me to do with these Christians? 
Here's an actual letter and the reports that were given from our brothers and sisters that were tortured for their faith in the first century and the responses that they gave uh, under duress. Look at what the letter says. This is the plan, Pliny said, uh, which I have adopted in the case of those Christians who have been brought before me. What do you want to do, right? I ask them whether they're Christians, and if they say yes, then I'm like, I repeat the question, like I'm giving you a chance to get out of this, right? I repeat the question a second time, and also a third time, like seriously, are you a Christian? Let me ask you again, are you a Christian? Like, do you really want to go through this? Warning them of the penalties involved, and if they persist, I order them away to prison. For I have no doubt, be their admitted crime what it may, their inflexible obstinacy surely ought to be punished. The fact that I am literally getting ready to torture them, and they're like, I'm a Christian, I don't care. I'm going to suffer. That inflexible obstinacy is the same thing you see among this group here today. They declared their guilt or error was simply this. What are you Christians doing? Here's what, here's what our error is. On a fixed day, Sunday morning, every Sunday morning, the Lord's Day, they used to meet before dawn, recite a hymn. They would sing together um, among themselves to Christ as though he were a God and binding themselves by oath not to commit any crime. They swore to keep, to keep from theft, robbery, adultery. Look at these terrible things they're being accused of, right? They're, they're going to keep themselves from the breach of faith, not to deny any trust money deposited with them. The, when the ceremony is over, they used to depart and meet again to take food, which is of no special character, entirely harmless. What is the food? Like the Lord's Supper. I then thought it was more needful to get at the facts behind these statements, Pliny says. Therefore, I placed two women called deaconesses under torture. You can just imagine what happened to these two Christian women, our sisters in the faith, 2,000 years ago. Under torture, but I found only a debased superstition carried to great lengths. So I postponed my examination and immediately consulted you. The thing that I think Peter wants us to understand, besides the fact that Christians suffer, is that there is value to the suffering because it shows who's truly in and who truly is posing. That you know very quickly that when you are caused to make a decision, and oh, this is potentially going to cost me something for following Jesus, you very quickly separate the sheep from the goats. Look at what Peter says. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though for now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. What kinds of trials? Well, this kind of a trial, losing your job kind of trial, being mistreated kind of trial, losing your job kind of trial, not being sold food in the market kind of trial. These are the kind of trials he's talking about. These trials have come not as an accident, these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may emerge of greater worth than gold. When your faith is proven, it's worth more than gold. Which, and then when it's proven, you may result in the praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You want to know what the, one of the most painful things about COVID has been? About how easily 
People who call themselves Christians have fallen by the wayside because they have had to go to church online for six months. Like, that's the worst thing in the world, right? Like, make a Christian in America in 2020 go to church online for six months and they leave their faith altogether. It's been shocking to me, honestly. Therefore, I believe that among all of the terrible things of COVID and the tragic loss of life, one of the positive results has been is that there's been a purging of the body of Christ of posers. People have been called to account and saying, just like in the first century, am I in or am I out? Um, it's interesting to me how people have responded to this COVID situation. There are people, obviously, that need to completely isolate themselves because they're, they're prone to very terrible things happening if they get it. There are obviously, there is the need for all of us to social distance. There is a need for masks. There is a need for all of us to be incredibly hyper-vigilant. But the irony in all of this is, I find it ironic that when perfectly healthy people that are not at risk are willing to go to giant, are willing to go to different events, are willing to go to parties in their neighborhood, are willing to go and spend time walking with their neighbors, are willing to go to work, are willing to do all of these things. When it comes to church on Sunday morning, it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Now that's, that's too much. That's too much. Now for many people, obviously, that need to completely isolate, it's totally fine. And we want to encourage that. But at the same time, we have to ask ourselves, has this been an opportunity for a clear divide to occur in the body of Christ between those who are truly authentic in their faith and they're not going to be deterred because they had to watch church online and those who were simply following Jesus for other reasons? I think this entire passage in 1 Peter is calling us to do this, to switch from viewing our pain from how it affects us personally to finding meaning through the cross. Let me give you an example. How many of you have gone through difficult situations and you went through a difficult situation and you never one time complained about how hard it was on you because you saw that the, the reason that you were going through it had some kind of benefit, right? Um, like for those of you who um, are business owners, we have many business owners here in our church community, and the last six, seven months, you basically have been, you've been treading water, man, and fighting hard, and not one time were you like, woe is me, why is this happening to me? Because you knew that your employees needed you. You knew that you wanted to serve your customers, and so you were able to look at it differently. So let me give you some examples of this. When you view your pain and your suffering through the cross, you are willing to fight to the finish because the difficulty that you're going through is not about you. Some of you right now have cancer. 
and you're going to treatment and you feel terrible. One option is you can do what people who are posers do, people that are in our culture, what they do, and is they, they, something like that happens and they ask themselves the question, why me? Why are you picking on me, God? Why is this happening to me? Someone who is a disciple of Jesus, whether in the first century or in 2020, looks at that through the cross and they ask themselves the question, what opportunity am I being given today to go and share the love of Christ with my doctors, with my nurses, and with my technicians today? I'm looking at this suffering opportunity as an opportunity through the cross to do something redemptive. Our suffering is never about us. When we make it about us, then we have this existential crisis of what's going on in the world. Many of you, at times, you've had trouble with your kids, particularly right now. You're like, hey, I gotta be honest. I love homeschooling my kids. It's great. It is, in fact, there's nothing more fun than trying to hold down a job and homeschool my kids, right? Like, it is just fantastic. Like, if I, man, I just, if I had to make goals for 2021, homeschool the kids and try to work at the same time. It it would would just be fantastic. Let's keep this going, keep this party going as long as we possibly can, right? And you're like, man, you like your kids hate it? Your kids hate staring at a camera. Some of your kids are missing opportunities. They hate it. You hate it. And you can just simply say, hey, you know what? Why in the world has this happened to me? God, I am so ticked off at you. Why are you signaling me out? Or you can say, hey, you know what? I would never have chosen this, but what an opportunity I have been given to model grace and truth, boundaries and grace. Something's going to happen in the life of my child through this circumstance and through me. Therefore, I may not have them wake up in the morning and say, Mom, you're the best. I just wanted to remind you, you're the best. They may not wake up and do that, but they will certainly do that 10 years from now. Because something is being shaped in them right now because you are looking at this and viewing this redemptively through the cross. You are seeing someone that is, that is being sent as a missionary to a time you will not attend. And you're training them now. And it's just simply COVID has given you the opportunity to actually practice what you preach. Some of you right now are looking for jobs. Either COVID is some, or your job loss is some random casualty of COVID Or when you're looking at it redemptively through the cross, you're beginning to wonder, maybe what God is doing is he's sending me as a missionary to another place that needs to hear people about Jesus and they need need me there to model them love and grace and acceptance of what a real Christian looks like. When we look at our difficulties through the cross, we realize, you know what? Nah, I'm fighting to the finish on this one. I am not giving up. I am not going to turn this into some woe is me situation because God is going to use this in a powerful way. And so I have homework for everybody, whether you're watching online uh, or, or you're here. 
I want you this week to read the book of 1 Peter. It's only like 3,000 words. My sermons are 3,000 words. If you could sleep through my sermons, you can read the book of 1 Peter, all right? So what I want you to do is I want you to read it three times, okay? First time, I just want you to read it to familiarize yourself with the book of 1 Peter. It's a letter, it's a sermon meant to be read to churches. And then what I want you to do is I want you to read through it for a second time. But then I want you to read it for a third time, and I want you to go through it line by line as if it was written to you at this time. What is God saying to you in the midst of this difficulty, and what does he want you to accomplish looking through the cross? How does he want you to fight to the finish in your relationships, at work, in your health at home? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so perplexed at why we're the generation living through this. But by faith, we thank you for this opportunity. And we pray, God, just like the people people that were receiving this sermon from Peter in the first century, that we would receive it as a message to us to fortify ourselves, to lift ourselves up, to look at what we're going through through the lens of the cross because we know that nothing is wasted in the kingdom and you're trying to use this for something good. God, speak to us and change us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.